G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz with episode 131 of the Outback Mine podcast. Thank you very much for joining in. Happy New Year once again, uh, episode two for the new year, this one, and uh, I've got a really awesome guest on with me today. Now, um, some of you uh, that may be into motorbikes or maybe into surfing may know a fellow by the name of Carl Muggeridge. Now, Muggers um, uh, is 47 now, uh, a little bit younger than me, but um, he's had an amazing life. Um, we're going to learn a lot from this guy. He's an amazing individual with, with regards to what he did uh, as an athlete, as a professional motorbike racer. He was uh, Top five in the world in the Superbike Series. Uh, won the World Super Sport Championship, I think, years ago. With the Superbikes, I think he had seven wins on the world stage. Uh, five places or eight places or something. And, yeah, really was uh, very close to becoming world champion. And, um, yeah, look, he's, he's got an amazing journey, amazing story with um, regards to learning uh, about... Uh, athletics as a, as a young fellow with motocross and then getting into the the big stuff and then um, sort of transitioning out of that uh, but more importantly I suppose uh, something that we can all connect with is um, you know, connection with spirit and uh, and Muggers has basically um, you know done lots of work on himself uh, to heal he was a very aggressive young fella um, and uh, he's he's come back to getting to know himself again through uh, through various techniques uh, self-healing techniques and so forth and uh, you know really reinvented his life so there's a lot uh, in this conversation for many people out there that uh, are maybe looking to use 2022 as a, a springboard platform to be able to transition into uh, a more conscious uh, connected and uh, and self-aware life and uh, really that's available to all of us if we learn the tools and techniques to be able to do that and also you know stay true to that and do it consistently so i'm really sure you're going to enjoy this chat and this chat might be helpful to a lot of people so please share it around i just want to make special mention to our primary partners green nutritional so if you're lacking something in your diet or you want to try and improve uh, improve your performance physically or mentally uh please check out their website they provide organic or uh, sorry awesome organic superfoods which are available uh, all around Australia and also online. The website is greennutritionals.com.au. Also, MacForce Australia. So, if you're looking to maybe hire someone in WA or Queensland, MacForce uh, really help guys that are coming from incarceration to reintegrate back into life. So, a lot of us uh, have um, troubled upbringings um, and that uh, can lead us into crime and uh, not so much crime, but also doing the wrong thing, which can lead to um, to, to, to issues. And um, MacForce have been uh, experts at uh, helping people transition into life again and help uh, reinvent people's, um, uh, not only the people, the individual's life, but also the families to be able to provide support for them and uh, to give them traction and uh, guidance in uh, moving forward. So if you're looking to hire someone for your workplace, I really encourage you to check out MacForce and uh, see what they can do to help your uh, organisation uh, to be able to bring someone in that can uh, really be uh, inspirational and help uh, you know, change an individual's life. So please check out their website. It is macforce, M-A-C-F-O-R-C-E.com.au. Alrighty, hope you enjoy this chat uh, with Muggers and I. I really appreciate your feedback and uh, enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Backmind Podcast, Carl. Thanks for having me. No worries, mate. Uh, absolute pleasure. Um, 
we can pretty much talk all day. So I don't know how long this podcast will go for. It'll probably go for a while. So uh, to the listeners out there, strap yourself in. I reckon you're going to be in for a, uh, a good ride uh, with Carl and I here. So, mate, really grateful to have you along. Yeah, no, it's great to be here, Aaron. Thanks again. Yeah, mate, um, many people may know you out there for what you've done uh, as an athlete and all that type of stuff, but um, we'll sort of get back to um, to all that later. But um, how, how did life evolve for you, mate? You started off as a young fella down at Tweed there riding motocross, is that right? Yeah, it was um, – my brother was actually an amateur golfer and he was very good at it, and he taught a um, – was he an A-grade motocross rider how to play golf one day? And they got talking and he was like, oh, you got to come to the motocross track one day. So my brother did. Then he, obviously he came home and was like, dad, I need a motorbike. And then dad's <laughs> like, what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds cool. Whatever he's doing. That's, so <laughs> I was um, I was always very steady away and he was very serious. He was seven years older than me. Um, and that was uh, where I came from. You know, you could see where I'd been on the dirt bike track there was the the tracks from the tires and then you had my legs dragging either side because i was shitting myself you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> how old were you then uh nine mate oh, we, we've talked about it but we, we had a bloke where i was from in horsham by the name of kevin mcgee and he used to dink me around like that and i was shitting myself as well and i would have been about the same age so uh yeah i know what you're talking about <laughs> oh, another thing we got in common huh? yes yeah that's it well kevin mcgee <laughs> went on to be a pretty good uh good rider and we'll talk about your journey uh as we go in mate but um you uh so you you sort of grew up there and then you sort of got into it pretty seriously after that yeah, I just because um, my brother was so serious with it, I I was given the opportunity just to grow, you know, naturally and organically without any pressure. So um, it was until I was about thirteen. Yeah, I was thirteen where I really started to start winning races and Australian championships and and state championships. And um, then my brother became my mechanic, which oh, was shit. interesting. And, <laughs> and that's that's when the pressure got piled on. <laughs> oh mate, he would have been trying to tell you what to do and all that sort of stuff, I'd imagine. So, oh my god, older brother. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so what were you riding then? You were in like the eighty CCs or one two fives as like a 14, 15 year old. Yeah. So at that time, I think when I was fourteen, I was in eight different classes. So it was the fifty CC, then it was the sixty CC. So dad had, I think we had fourteen motorcycles in the garage. So. I was fortunate enough that dad could afford to buy all these toys for us. Um, but yeah, I was riding, I don't know how many different classes yet, yeah, 50cc, 60cc, 60cc big wheel, 80cc, 80cc big wheel, and then the mm-hmm. four stroke class. So there was just bikes everywhere. So I had so much opportunity to ride. It was mm-hmm. it was great. Unreal. And you got sponsored uh, eventually by, by a manufacturer? Um, so at that time when i was 13 or 14 that was kawasaki so you might have heard of paul feeney yeah i do um, remember him yeah so he was um paul sponsored me back then as a boy i didn't know what that entailed i just knew that i had his stickers all over my bikes and stuff um obviously i wasn't responsible for too many toys i wasn't responsible for too much at all really (laughs) (laughs) oh my memory mate was chris hill he was the gun back then Yes, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I remember him. And I was, like, pretty amateur. I was a hack. My dad uh, 
was a was just a painter. He couldn't afford to buy me much, but I um, I had a KX uh, eighty with the uh, the big mud guard on the back of it. The KX uh, eighty, the eighty two model, I think it was, and. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that was my uh, my entree into it. I remember flipping it and, and reckon the uh, the back mudguard was about 180 bucks for a new one back in 1984. So it wasn't uh, I wasn't too popular back then, but uh, it was good fun eh, back in those days and, and mucking around with all the simple stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was so good, so good. So mate, good times, lots of good memories. Oh yeah, so so you you went from there to like basically racing all around the place and, and winning an Australian title and sort of progressing from there. Yeah, so I did um, like uh, dirt track and motocross and then some supercross later in my motocross adventures. And um, yeah, so won uh, many Australian titles and state championships and literally it kept me, it was a really great distraction, you know, being a teenager. Um, didn't really go to any parties or anything through school because I was off racing every weekend. So um it was uh, it was a really great way um, to live, to be honest. I, mean, I don't feel like I missed out on anything. Mm, unreal, mate. It's um, yeah, amazing thing, and uh, yeah, like full credit to your dad for uh, for obviously uh, understanding uh, that he needed to give you uh, something which was uh, which was nourishing for you, which you know obviously led to into a pretty pretty successful career and. How did that all unfold for you, mate? You, you obviously got an, an offer to ride a, a road bike and it sort of went from there. Yeah, it, that was a funny transition, honestly, because when I got to um, the end of school, so I went through to grade 12 and then my mum and dad were like, okay, so what do you want to do now? And I was like, I'm going to America to race AMA motocross and supercross. And they looked at me and I was like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> what if that doesn't work? And I'm like, what do you mean, what if it doesn't work? Of course it's going to work. <laughs> so, and they're like, oh, you got to learn something. What if it doesn't work? you got to learn a, a, something, you know, be a teacher or a, you know, a mechanic or something. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Um, so we kind of looked around, looked at all different avenues. I was going to be a teacher. I was going to do um, uh, some engineering stuff. And then I was going to – and then all of a sudden mum came home one day and she's like, look, I found this. There's a, there's a job. It's um, an apprenticeship. It's going. It's for a, a horologist, and I'm like, "What the hell's that?" <laughs> and she goes, "It's a it's a watchmaker, and it's for the state government." And I was like, "Oh, watches. That sounds pretty cool." <laughs> and so then I worked, you know, feverishly to try and you know put a nice application together. I went to Brisbane, had the interview, won the job, and then I became um, an apprentice. Uh, horologist, so watchmaker. Mm. So I did that for four years, but because I'd left um, my parents' home at the Gold Coast and moved to Brisbane, I found it very difficult to, um, to be successful on a motocross bike. Mm. You've literally got to ride and train every day. Yeah, like the the fitness is so intense on those things, and I really struggled to to manage that move, moving to Brisbane for four years. And so I'd bounce back on weekends, but it just wasn't enough. So. Mm. Another friend of mine said, "You should, uh, you should go road racing. You know, they, you know, I mean, you need to be fit, but you know, they hardly ever ride the bike because it's too expensive. You can barely go on the track, but you know, you'll be all right." And I'm like, "Oh, uh, oh I wasn't that keen." And he goes, "Mate, I'll organise it. I'll get, I'll, I'll organise a bike for you, and we'll go out for a ride." So we went out to Lakeside. I had a crack, and I didn't, didn't love it at all. I really was. I was like, "Oh." 
okay, and this is supposed to be good, is it? And I was like <laughs> struggling. So it wasn't until about the third time I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm understanding the craft now. I understand, you know, what, what, what you need to do to go fast on those things. Mm. Um, so then I set off on this road racing adventure, um, which started in Australia um, through my apprenticeship. So I was racing around the Aussie Championship. I, I did okay. I was very sporadic up and down with my results. Very difficult. It was I was hamstrung financially. You know, it was very difficult to keep keep a bike under me. And you know, mm. I was working as an apprenticeship, mm. getting two hundred bucks a, a week or something. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. um, and then. Um, Pretty much spent all the dad's money on motocross at this point. Um, not not quite all of it, but um, you know he was you know he couldn't fund road racing. That was got, got very expensive. Mm. And then my apprenticeship finished, and then I started my own business, and that was Heritage Time Services. I had clocks around me everywhere. I was servicing clocks all on the Gold Coast, and I had work coming out my ears. So it could have been a very successful business. Mm. And I remember this one one afternoon, I'm sitting there. And the surf report came on the radio and I took my eyeglass out. I sat back on the chair and, he, and it was Andy Mack and he's like, yeah, mate, the uh, surf down at uh, Greenmount is, is pumping. It's like five to six foot. He's, right, it's got, he's just rattling on and I just sat back and I was like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> and so from that moment, I worked for the next six months on how I was going to get out of Australia and go road racing mm. in the World Championship. Mm. So I went over there. Um, I'll try to speed this up because the story just goes on and on. <laughs> so I saved up everything. I went over there with my mate. We went to the UK because that was the best place we figured to get to the World Championship. Because if I went to America, that was okay. But historically, you go to American Championship, you get stuck in America. Then you go to Spain, Spain or France or any of those other championships, you get, you know, it's a language barrier. So how do you go to the UK? And the UK had a a uh, very good championship, um, so I went over there and met the last race of their championship in 1997. Mm. And I banged on every garage door and just asked to speak to the owner, the manager, and I just spent three days just banging on doors. And and I said, "Hi, oh, who are you?" And I said, oh, "I'm Carl Muggeridge." So, what what do you want? Oh, I'm from Australia, and I I like the opportunity to have a go on your motorcycle and they and they're like how much money you got i'm like got no money <laughs> right okay uh come back later so i come back later and i just kept going and going and going and after those three days i had two test rides mm. and um so i had two opportunities one i had to bring money another one was just to start small, work for the team because they build production bikes mm. and then do the odd race with the team when we had money enough. Mm. And then, so I did got to compete the following season. So then I had to call my mum at Christmas and say, hey, mum, I'm not coming home. Um, can you call all my clients from the watch watches and clocks and tell them I'm, I'm going to be a motorcycle racer? <laughs> 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 so that winter I lived in absolute poverty. I mean, I I came, I was pretty comfortable here on the Gold Coast. I had no money. I was making 115 pounds a week working for this race team. I had 50 pounds for rent and 50 pounds for the food with the young couple I live with in this very small little house 
um, which was really not much, you know. And I walked to work every day. I'd go to work at seven, come home at seven. I didn't see the sun for months. It was, mm. it was a real, a real shake, a real shakedown for me. Is this what you really want to do? So um, that was when I really locked in and just soldiered on. Um, through that season, it was up and down because I was. Um, I'll jump a, jump forward a few issues we had with that team and then we ended up starting my own team with the manager that I had and I worked out of his garage mm. and then um, towards the end of the season so I was the mechanic I was tire changer and I was just doing everything at every race I was just drive there set up the caravan set up the tent work out of the tent and do everything myself and then towards the end of the season um, Honda came over and said listen mate just after I got completely wiped out on the track my bike was broken in two he just said uh hey just send me a fax whatever you need we'll pay for it <laughs> send me a fax, a fax. <laughs> so send him a fax and he goes and we'll give you another bike so this doesn't happen again so which created a whole lot more work for me because i had to build another bike which mm. costs fortunes mm-hmm. um and then three weeks later, or three races later, then they they came to me and said, "Listen, we'd like you to um, come race for us next year. Um, like you come ride for Cashville Honda." And that was the um, my first paid ride. How so it old took were me twelve you months, but I got there. How old yeah, were you? I was. I must have been twenty four. Really, that's that's still very young. Yeah, young but uh, like young but old. For racing, it's kind of old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you look at say Casey so, Stoner and those sorts of guys, they were probably on them a bit bit earlier. Yeah, they were already in. When was Casey? So he was probably in MotoGP already at twenty five, I think. Mm, yeah, yeah. I was just starting, and this was only in the British um, Supersport Championship. So I was really, you know, it was really just scratching scratching the surface on um, working professionally. But, uh, you know, at least I had a contract with Honda UK, you know, had the company car, had a salary, had mm. bonuses. Then I ended up with sponsors, which I'd never had before, and helmets and leathers. And, you know, it wasn't huge, but it was it was, um, it was actually amazing for me. It was huge, actually. Mm. <laughs> mate, mate, what I'm hearing, it's really beautiful because you've had to do the work. You know, you, you haven't just had it handed to you. You've had to, like, really go back to the nuts and bolts of it all and, and move your way through to uh, to get to where you got to. And so so at 24, what happened from there? You were, you were able to obviously secure a permanent sort of, you know, role and a ride, and then you started to become a bit more successful with it? Yeah, so that first first year, I um, it was all new for me, having all these mechanics around me and testing and, you know, big transporters it was all like you know i had a bit you know stars in my eyes a little bit but i was just like wow it's a bit overwhelming mm. um so now i'm actually it's not as personal anymore it's actually i'm paid to do a job now so mm. it was a, a very different mentality and that was that was it was a big learning curve um, um to be honest you know very different mentality when you you know, have to drive around to 16 different, or was it 26 different locations over the season to sign autographs in shops. So every other weekend you're off somewhere else in the, in the country. And so they're very big on promotion and marketing stuff. So it was all, all um, such a big learning curve. You know, you don't just 
get to turn up and then mm. I every waking hour became like okay, I'm training at the gym and now I'm doing doing all these this this different way of life um, mm. and which was a, was was an excellent experience particularly when I'd been so spoiled as a boy mm. like I really was you know I mean I just mom and dad looked after everything and then I had to go and literally live in poverty and and I am so grateful I had to live in in such such an experience where it gave me um, the opportunity to think how grateful I should have been mm. about my youth yes. and how grateful I am now of what I've actually got, you know. Mm. Amazing, isn't it, mate? You know, yeah, like, but, but like, I, I just think your story is so, so trivial because you, you've had to go from, from easy street to hard street and sort of back, back into uh, success, which come from hard work, you know, and, uh, and that, that's, it's rare, and as you know, with, with anything you're doing in life, unless you do the work, you don't really appreciate what's on the other side of it. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, the, the, I think because of those hard times I had in the middle, um, it, it only, um, it compiled the intensity and the seriousness I took into my racing moving forwards. I was very critical at every level i was very focused because i was i was so hungry to make it work now because i'd it was so hard to get there mm, you know mm. and there was no one going to take it away from me and there was no one going to you know get an advantage over me so i was i was pretty highly strung you know mm, yeah, yeah mate that that's that's perfectly fine and that all sort of comes with uh with experience, doesn't it? You know, because you, you're driven, you're determined, and all those sorts of things. And yeah, mate, we've, we've had conversations about that. But before we get to the, uh, you know, the performance side of things, how did it go for you? Like you started to win some races, and then you started to climb the ladder pretty well on the world stage. Yeah, so it was actually um, three quarters through that season when I got my first ride in the UK. Um, a Dutch team called me. And um, they, he rang me, I was just sitting in, in a little cafe having a coffee with my girlfriend at the time and she, and he goes, hello, Carl. And I said, oh, hi, Garrett. He goes, yes, it's Garrett, it's Garrett Tenkata here. He's like, uh, my rider, my rider, fuck me. Um, you come ride for me. <laughs> I'm like, what? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, how does that work? And he goes, yeah, yeah, we have three races left. You 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 come ride for me. And I'm like, whoa, I, I mean, I need to ask Honda. I mean, I'm their rider. Mm. And so he, um, this was a really quite a, uh, an amazing culmination because Honda UK is such a big organization. Mm. Um, and they said, okay, um, you won't be able to do the next round because that'll clash. But... That team in the World Championship, he has Shell Oils, he has Michelin Tires, he has all these other sponsors, which you're a, you're a Honda, Cashville Honda rider. You know, we have all our sponsors that you, you need to represent and you need to be, you know, honest to, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I got talking in between the team and we pulled it all together and what happened is um and then dunlop as well so i was a factory rider for dunlop so dunlop which is made in birmingham in the uk so they're like look we'll, we'll come we'll support you to go to those races in the world championship we'll bring dunlop to us 
And Castrol's like, yeah, we're in. We'll bring Castrol oil. So I rang the team. Well, you're going to have to change, you know, a lot of things for the team. Is that okay? He's like, yeah, no problem. So I brought my sponsors with me to that team, and which was such a great asset because I was able to, to come across in that first race in a world championship and in Aston it was, and I qualified sixth or something, which was really amazing. And then I was leading the race, and then I got in this big ding-dong battle. Um, I ended up finishing fourth due to a, a red flag. But, I mean, that was really my launch into the world stage, just having that one opportunity, mm. the first race, where I really like, who's this guy? Mm. So that was a, um, you know, it, there's been a lot of people who have been, you know, fundamentally, you know, um, so supportive and I would never have got got there without them you know mm-hmm. that's true mate it's amazing that you just had that that network around you and that sort of faith but isn't it funny like you know it sort of come to me while you were speaking then like you've got all these you've got a role now you're representing an organization which brings tension and so forth too with it um, and all the expectations of, uh, of being a performer at the end of the day, doesn't it? And um, did that overwhelm you at all? Or you just sort of got on with the job? Um, you know, I, I was... Um, people just couldn't work me out, really, in the paddock. I mean, the paddock is such a loving place. Everyone's, you know, very kind and friendly. You know, I, I moved to the World Championship arena when you had you know aaron slight troy corsa mm. colin edwards ben bostrom carl fogarty um you know all these oh you know uh frankie keely all these heroes from the sport that have been around for that many years you know all these these big names and they they were so welcoming you know like mm. it was such a uh, a nice environment say oh you you come in a race in the championship great you know you park your motorhomes up and I, I remember when i first came i i went over to troy course and i was like mate he's i know you like bourbon um i really appreciate all the advice you've given me you know he 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 literally took me to a track and i'd go over and see him i was like mate i've not been to this track he's all right let's go so he'd spend two hours and we'd walk the track together he'd show me every bump every ripple mm. um and this was you know absolutely invaluable Mm. like it was you know i got to enter the track and be on the pace to a certain degree Mm. Um, but as you say you know with all the pressure and sponsors and you know when they're paying your salary you need to get results and all the rest of it and um that was that was really difficult to manage to be honest because off the track i was a such a happy kind loving human but on the track i was like the devil you know mm. i never let it i never gave anyone a millimeter i was such <laughs> yeah. an angry little human on the track white line fever <laughs> <laughs> that's it <laughs> same as a footy player or anything mate it's it's amazing what happens then isn't it but it's temporary you know it's it's, it's just an impermanent thing that uh you, you go into the zone and it's all over after an hour or two it's all over and done with but uh if you can actually be in that moment there's nothing better than uh and doing just that, I guess, and mate, you know, you, you've obviously like gone on and you won some, some, some like, like races and so forth. So did you win seven races altogether? Is that right? No, so I, um, I was world champion in two hundred four. Yeah. So I, I entered the world championship at two thousand. So I was, I, I had some good teams. You know, we had some really great results, and I won some really um, unique races. But I was always very inconsistent. 
in my results. So, you know, I'd win one and then I'd come eighth in the next and then I'd be running second trying to or running fourth trying to win the race and fall off and and I was very up and down you know so um I I found it very difficult to find some consistency Mm. um the pressure was very high you know because these teams are spending millions you know traveling around the world yeah and at the end of the day the buck stops with you because you got to Put all their hard work on into this motorcycle and get it across that line. You yes, know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm, bit of pressure, mate. But you know, we've we had the chat about you being really angry and uh, you know, someone that was uh, that was probably uh, hard on yourself. Was is that right? Yeah, I was uh, super critical. You know, I would, um, you know, I make my girlfriend cough out the window. I lived in this bubble. You know, we're driving in the motorhome. We're on our we're on our way to a race in Italy somewhere or across from Misano across to, to France and Isabel the other window's going, Oh look there's a Coliseum. I was like, Yeah, that's cool, I'm going to the racetrack, you know. Yeah, it's, it's just it's eyes out the front. I'm yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is work mode. Yes. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I kinda was living in this tunnel mm. and I had tunnel vision and all I wanted to do was just win. And and um, I had this overwhelming um, um, passion, which which you know m- makes you reactive as a human. So, mm. um, I tried all kinds of healing to 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 calm me down. All kinds of treatments that I could, you know, be a bit more calm. Tried all kinds of meditation, but you know, um, it wasn't until a friend of mine mentioned that I should go try this uh, this thing called vipassana. Mm-hmm. And then he stopped and he's like, nah, you haven't got the balls to do it. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, no, nah, dude, what is it? Sign me up. I'm in. And it's, um, as you know, Aaron, it's a, a meditation camp, basically, where you sit in um, in silence for more than 10 days. 240 hours. Yeah, mate. <laughs> How many seconds? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> So it was actually mid-season, and I signed up, went there, read the rules and regs, and I was like, oh, this is a bit full-on. Oh, no flashy T-shirts, no reading material, no writing material, no devices. Oh, crap. Okay, bring your sleeping bag and a pillow. That's basically it. Mm-hmm. So I jumped in my car and shot off. I was living in Switzerland at the time. So I there's a camp um, or a location of the Vipassana um, center up in Mount Soleil, which is in Switzerland, in the Alps there. So I jumped in the car, drove up to the place, turned up, and you know, I mean, there's everything's a bit different up there. You know, it's all quiet and it's big mansion, and I walk in, and it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. <laughs> having to sit there in silence for ten days, I it was ridiculous. And I've done some silly, painful things in my life where I've put myself through all kinds of injuries and whatnot, but that was the most painful experience of my life, but the most fruitful. Mm, absolutely. I mean, honestly, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a defrag, and I remember sitting there and all my injuries were coming up and all my ex- bad experiences through my life, and I was just sweating, you know, I was... It was such a hard journey, mm. but I remember coming out just feeling so 
calm. Mm, mm, mm. So calm. I had, I had a plan. I had made decisions so easily. Mm. Um, and from that, like I came out, that was mid-season. So for the next ele- uh, 11 races, no, next 13 races in the World Championship. So this is, I won 11. I finished second in one and then the bike broke down in another. And it was the most um, unheard of succession train in history. You know, I uh, I just went in the history books. I broke every lap record. It was obscene, the mm. amount of victories I took with ease. You know, everything became slow motion. Mm. There, was n- there was nothing that I couldn't handle. I was so calm. Mm. It was ridiculous. I know. I know the feeling, mate. That's amazing. Oh, I, I just think... We'll go, we'll go off track a bit here, but, but that, that is our uh, innate human potential, isn't it, really? You know, you can yeah. have all the glory, all this, that and the other, um, but once you get into that zone, you're in this complete um, flow state. And, uh, you know, I, I believe, I talk about this often, but I believe every other creature walking around the planet is in that consistently, you know, they're in this just zone of... Uh, of just being at one with everything, but the, the human mind needs that time to settle down to be able to recognise it. Yeah, it does. It's just the the, the the tranquility of being able to hold a thought for longer than two seconds, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the pure test, isn't it, straight away? Try to think of something for more than two seconds. It's mm. hard. Mm. Oh, mate. And that's it's just unbelievable that you... You know, you, you look at a sports person in, the, in its essence, like, well, look at an AFL player, an NRL player, player like they're, they're on the whole time that they're there. They're performing, they're on. They come out the other side and they haven't really got to that stage where you got to to be able to find that inner peace within yourself. And, and most people go their whole life without actually knowing that until the end of their life. They sort of come to it at the end. But, you know, you've been able to have a, a major interruption halfway through, not even halfway through your life, but like at an early stage of your life where you've actually sort of seen what that is and you know that's your baseline and your home base. Yeah, it's, uh, it, was, it was absolutely critical I had, the journey I had, you know. It was um, so important, the lessons I learned along the way, you know. Mm, mm, mm. That's, that's it. Mate, and, and, and so how did life evolve for you from, from there? Like you had that experience, you did well as a performer on the bike. So you, I was a bit confused with regards to what you've done. So, so did you, you race on the, like the, world, the world scene with like Troy Corser and those guys and um, you were obviously travelling around a fair bit. So, so how many years were you at that level? So I, was on the, I went over to the UK and I did um, 98 and 99, that was in the UK Championship. So I was living in the UK for two years. Then I moved across to Andorra in 2000 um, when I started my world championship career. career. Mm-hmm. And then in 2009 was my last year in world superbike. So mm-hmm. I was, yeah, nine, nine years. Unbelievable, mate. That, that's an extraordinary uh, uh, journey. And, you know, you're 47 now, so it was um, not that long ago. And, and what was it like, like to come out of a professional career like that? So, what did you do? What what opportunities sort of opened up for you? It's um, it's a funny one because I always um, tried to stay a little bit below the radar. You know, we we used to come out to Australia and we'd come out for a couple of months each year at Christmas, and and I just 
didn't really tell anyone I came home. I just tried to lay low and, and train, and that was where I built the majority of my fitness for for each season. So I didn't really – no one really knew what I was up to overseas, you know. Mm-hmm. I was just – so when I finished – my career well i went then i rode the european championship for three years so i went and won the european superbike championship honda because the gfc came that gave us a big that was a big tax on our mm. industry so i was like okay well maybe i'll retire and then honda was like well, we'll race come and work for honda again we'll we've got a job here in the uk i mean in the germany mm-hmm. racing the uh, european championship so i did that for a few years won that championship and then we decided to come back to australia to live so when i came back here no one really knew who i was Mm. so as far as opportunities of working in the industry they were pretty limited um probably i i just decided to take a year out so we just hung at home built a house here um had the kids so we're just mucking around with them school and kindy and all the rest of that stuff and then my brother, who has motorcycle dealerships, he's like, hey, let's get a shop together. So, <laughs> um, yeah, great. So we did that for three years. Um, won't go into that. That was okay. That was a lot of work, to be honest. That was a lot more work than I anticipated or wanted to do. Um, but, you know, that's, that's life. Um, I did that for three years, and then I left that business sold my share back to him mm. um he's still doing that has done it for 20 years that's he loves it mm. um and then i've mucked around with a bit of um uh, real estate stuff because my friend of mine's in into that quite heavily and then i got into hydrofoiling mm, do you unreal. i don't know if you know much about that yeah, but um, mate, it's I, those big wings you put underneath the surfboards and yeah. you go out and play in the ocean yeah i'd love to uh, love to operate one Yes, so yeah, we'll get you there, mate. We'll get you out in the water, me and Trev. <laughs> That's it. I've seen Trev on one. I think he's pretty good at it too. Yes, yeah, we'll come visit you. We'd love to come up there yeah, and do that. To Agnes, mate. So, so you also yeah, and so go ahead. Now I own half a now I own half a foil company, right? And um, which is an American company called Cloud Nine, and mm-hmm. I do all their manufacturing and distribution around the world. Um, and that's my day to day. But it gives me flexibility, you know, to still be a part of the family and, and play with the kids and, 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 and pick up on their interests as well. Mate, honestly, like you, you have been able to be a competitor, but you've also, like, I believe through what you've done on a motorbike and what you've been able to do on a foil, you've found a sense of freedom. And when you're, when you're in that zone and when you're in that sort of state, there, then you're really at peace with yourself. And I reckon that's something that's really inspired you and you've wanted to share that with the world. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, um, you know, I don't feel like I need to prove anything to anyone. Mm. You know, my, my sole focus is to create a, a lifestyle that's comfortable enough for me and my two kids and my wife to live in mm. and you know our priority is spending time as a family together you know we really we really we really enjoy that you know we're not mm. 
it's not foreign for us to just hang out all weekend together you know we we're, we're just like that it's good mm, yeah yeah so lovely. and we're we're active parents so we're always out in the in the surf with the kids you know they're well into their surf life saving so they're training every day and I'm surfing every other day after that and foiling and, and all the rest of it mm, good lifestyle mate it's it's amazing but you know we'll, we'll, we'll talk about obviously freedom but uh you know a big part of what you're doing now is is is, um well obviously you found freedom within yourself by 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 some of the pursuits that you've had but you believe that that we need to be able to sort of like have that sense of freedom uh as individuals as humans and 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 freedom beats fear any day of the week and um you know i know you're pretty passionate about um you know trying to give um people choices and, and be able to make their, you know, freedom of decision and those sorts of things or have freedom of decision and those sorts of things. And, you know, you're sort of pretty strong in that space and, as well these days. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's... Um, we we actually... Yesterday was the first time I watched um, the TV um, in, I don't know, since the middle of December sometime. <laughs> it's a, it's a you know, shock, I just... <laughs> I, I just find it, you know, the, I find the radio and the TV is very toxic, mm. particularly, you know, the news is on every hour and um, every every other day is some tragic story and, and some threat or terrible promise that the, you know, someone's trying to, you know, the government's trying to make us or give us. And I just find it a little bit uneasy, you know, because, you know, it's it's... You know, they, they're forcing people to make decisions that they don't really want to and they're not comfortable with. And I find I find that a little bit upsetting, you know, because, you know, we'd all be a lot happier if the media wasn't so aggressive, you know. Mm, that's right. Mate, I woke up to it years ago, you know, and it took me 40 years or more but but primarily, all 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 they're trying to do is put you in fear so they can sell you shit. You know that that's that's what it comes down to. So put you in fear, and then and then you're reactive, and then they'll stick something under your nose to make you feel better. Chemist warehouse has become a super business. Um, you know you've only got to watch a game of sport now, and all you're seeing is is this this pleasure advertising through eating shit and uh, and gambling and boozing, and then. They'll have this intervention like Voltaren or a, a chemist ad come up, you know. It's not really given us the um, the flexibility to actually like reach our potential and live freely, you know. We we know innately what it is as humans to do that. You know, the way it was designed here was to share and uh, participate and contribute and, and all that, but the, the, the development of a selfish society is, uh, has become really destructive and, you know, what we're sort of seeing at the moment is... Um, causing a lot of division uh, as well. And it's actually helping people, or not helping people, but it's guiding people to to live in, in the lower level of con- levels of consciousness being sort of shame, fear, guilt, all those sorts of things. And when they've got you in that zone, mate, they have got you. They, you know, they they really uh, can drill down on, on, on you as a consumer and um, be able to help, uh, you know, reach for your, for your wallet uh, more to, to, to make you feel happy through, um, small interventions but really i just believe we've got to sort of start to wake up and say no uh, and uh, start to look at um 
uh, what's actually going on and turn off to some of the negative influence and start to look towards uh, some more of the positive stuff and stuff that can get us into that flow state and eventually back to that state that you had after you had your Vipassana where you, you knew who you really were. Yeah, I mean, I had I went into Vipassana. You know, I mean, this is really just concreting my beliefs back then. I mean, this was in 2003 I went, so that's a long time ago now. Mm. But, you know, I was always of the natural... Um, remedies for everything you know I don't take um, even a Panadol I don't take mm. medication I've, I've avoided surgery my whole racing career mm. um, just through natural healing and so on so I was very careful in what I ate and what treatments I had and um, you know I found a group of people I could rely on around the world so if I was injured I could heal in record time and get back on the bike so I could get paid again, you know, and do, do my craft. Mm. And so I, I've never been one to put stuff in my body. You know, I just, um, I've always believed and I've, I've broken my back three or four times. I've broken every bone in my body that many times. Mm. I've bounced down the road more times than I can, I've had hot hot dinners, yeah. and I'm fine. I'm I'm still I'm 47 now, and I'm still doing everything I was doing when I was 20, mm-hmm. uh, if not more. And I just don't need the next new <laughs> drug mm-hmm. they're pushing. You know. Mm-hmm. No, I understand, mate, and. Um yeah, well said. Like, uh, you know, I grew up on, on you know, if something goes wrong, you, you take a Panadol, you take this or take that, you go to the doctor, they give you something. But you and I both know that the body's smarter, isn't it, really? You've just got to get out of the road and let the body do its job, you know. Oh, that, my God, it's in, it's incredible how we heal, mm, that's it. you know. And, and but see, you, you experience that with your Vipassana because you, you allowed your mind to have a rest. Oh, absolutely. And you can will so many things you know if you if you were to to will positive healing of a certain injury and really sit and believe in it it, it happens and it happens at an exponential rate mm, mm, that's it yeah i mean i broke my spine in two places and i was back on the motorcycle in six weeks really this is unheard of you know i spoke to all kinds of doctors from, you know, Formula One doctors to MotoGP doctors, everyone in sporting world, when I broke my back and they said, mate, you got to lay down for three to six months. There's <laughs> yeah. no shortcut. And mm. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. What am I going to do for three to six months? It's like, feels like a lifetime, you know, mm. in, my, in my sporting career. So, you know, six weeks later, I got back on the bike. Yeah, okay, I wasn't. Um, 100% but I was safe I was strong and I was still pretty fast mm, unreal but but you you knew you know your body better than anyone else let's face it you know we're outsourcing too much you know we're really looking outside but all the truth and the teachings are within ourselves so when something happens you've got to turn inward and actually like see what's going on when the mind's dominating, then you're going outside your body, but when you're actually able to turn inward and reflect and feel what's going on, 
I am I'm a Kundalini yoga teacher. Kundalini yoga taught me how to harness the natural energy in the body and realize when the cells are vibrating and what's actually going on and, and how that that has got an innate way to actually heal you, you know, through your breath, through uh, the functionality of uh, of tuning into to your body and um, you know, it's these things that we actually like can 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 tune into and tap into, but when we're sort of confronted with something or where where we've got something going on then we look outside you know it's like like having a bruise and then whacking ice on it you know you need to be able to like let that sort of uh do its thing and then sort of the healing will take place you know so you've got to go through a little bit of trauma uh initially to be able to sort of get back to that state sort of state of balance again but if you're going around in circles and, and those guys back then you might have been on your back for six months and they were trying to prod and poke you for that period of time but you were you were so lucky to know that you you could take matters into your own hands by doing um you know things naturally and and, and doing things in rhythm with your body rather than sort of forcing against it i guess yeah, I mean, it's just, um, you know, the, you know, I had colleagues who raced for other teams, similar injury. He went down and got operated on. Well, his career ended very soon after that, you know. Mm, mm. You know, putting plates in your spine is not going to help you in the long run. That's just, you know, you're only restricting yourself. Mm, that's you're true. creating a weak point in your body. Your body's designed to, I mean, we're very... Um, resilient you know we have the possibility to be resilient to anything if mm. we set our mind to it you know mm. oh like there's been so much evidence hasn't there for from people that have done just that look at say joe dispenser that was able to like heal himself by by turning inwards and i don't look at these sorts of guys much but i hear about them and i know i know what they're doing and i know what's what, what we're capable of but you know, this is a skill that we're, we're not aware of and, and I guess modern society is actually trying to keep us away from that um, uh, that innate knowing that we've got within each of us. And we're all sitting on a gold mine, I believe, you know, with regards to this sort of stuff. But when we're sort of put into fear early and we're, um, we're kept in that state, then all of a sudden we, we reach for the wallet, as I said, um, you know, to, to, to find the, the happiness. But really, that's, that's all within, you know, within us if we actually like know how to access it, I suppose, at the end of the day. And it's, it is slowing down, you know, slowing down. And, and slowing down doesn't mean sitting in front of the, the TV watching the news or, or just numbing out. Mm. You know, slowing down is doing something which is reconnecting you mm. back to everything that's around us, really. Mm, that's right. It's quieting the mind, you know. Once the mind's quiet and the body's got a chance to, 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 to relax, when the mind's in tension, the body's going to be in tension too, you know. But... If you're sitting there relaxing or supposedly relaxing, watching the news, then then you're going to be uh, in tension, aren't you? You know, you're not going to be relaxed. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. The, the quickest way to do that is to re-nature yourself. Like get back into nature, get your sand on the feet, uh, sand on the feet, like get your body into the ocean, go into a river, go into a forest, whatever it may be, because that's our that's our, our, our real home, isn't it? You know, all the other stuff sort of uh, material. And you would have had a motorbike vibrating uh, under your legs for a long period of time. And that's, that's a big, uh, that's a huge impact on your body. So you know, for you to be able to sort of settle your nervous system after that is, um, is significant. And I reckon that's where a lot of the aggression and the anger come from because you were sort of, uh, you're in that tension mode consistently. And I reckon, you know, what, what happened there, um, you know, muggers was, you know, that tension was going into your hands, into your bike, 
after that Vipassana, that, that freedom was in your mind and that freedom and that, that sort of flexibility was going into your bike and, and that's where the results sort of came. Yeah, I was um, I was soft, you know, I, I stopped fighting and forcing mm, and, and, yeah. and, and, and muscling. It was all just fluent and everything slowed down. Mm, mm. You know, you're still doing 330 down the straights and you're still firing into the corners at these mock speeds, but you're actually, you just, your senses got Heightened. super um intrinsic and so sensitive so everything was slow and you could feel everything and you could feel the tires and the brakes it was um mm. it was pretty euphoric really racing at that time mm. you know that uh, you've already done the work you you, you 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 innately know what to do because you've already done the work it's just about executing it isn't it without force absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. and it's like what's happening yeah. now in sport like with richmond and other other clubs that are getting trained to slow their mind down, you know, so they, they already know what to do. They just get out there and execute, and um, that that's pretty much what you've, you've experienced. Yeah, I mean, you don't need to sit on the line and, and psych yourself up because yeah. well, you've already done 160 laps. You already know how to do a fast lap. You know how to do a whole race. Mm. You just sit here and relax, conserve your energy, um, quiet mind and the rest will unfold. Simple. Mm, it is, it is, but that's it? with everything, right? Yeah. Oh, it is, but it's difficult, mate. Look, I've been in races where guys are like standing there so tense looking at their watch before they start and they bloody, they take off and, you know, I'm just sort of there like nice and loose, loose and nimble and, you know, I know I know that that tension will, will eventually phase out and you go past them, so you let them get all their aggression out of the road and then you just sort of slip past anyway. But, uh, you know, you, you would have been on, on the bike and just just been in this nice comfortable flow state and just you, you just get the job done and um it's like it's like things do go in slow motion even though you're going at 300 k's an hour like it's just like everything around you is working hard but you're not actually working that hard because you haven't got your um you know your foot on the gases uh, so to speak you know you're not really in that sort of um uh, that forcing mode, you're just allowing it to, you know, to, to, to things to do their job. And I just reckon that's what's going on in modern society. Like we're, we're forcing way too much and, uh, you know, our health's a big part of that. We're sort of forcing against their health. And, you know, we're just got to get back to this rhythm again and this innate knowing that we've all got. And, um, you know, yeah, I just, mate, uh, there's, there's so much, um, you know, wisdom in this conversation because, you know, these are the things that we, we've got access to. We're just going to learn how to slow down and uh, and tap into this sort of stuff. And, you know, it's great we're talking about freedom because when you're in that freedom mode, um, then you're actually able to, um, you know, to, to, to access that more often. And it's interesting, mate. Like, I I, um, I used to go on holidays to, to get away, to have a break, but now you can actually have a break every day if you learn how to tap into yourself and, and slow, <laughs> yeah, slow down, breathe slowly and just get into that, that zone. But, yeah, you know, I was like you, very aggressive and angry, or not so much angry, but like just on all the time and then I'd have to go away just to settle down. And that'd take a week to do that and then you got a week and then you go back to work again and you're, you're back to square one. But... Uh, this is this is a skill that I believe you know. That's probably the the next part of your journey is to help others sort of uh, you know come to this realization as well. Yeah, there's um you know you, you 
you learn a lot, you know, you learn a lot. I've been exposed um, to a lot of different teams and a lot of different countries and languages and con- and places that we've been to. And, um, you, you know, there's, there's so, so much I can and I'm happy to share and help. Um, you know, it's just... Um, you know, one one conversation at a time and we just see where that goes, right? Mm, exactly, mate. And, you know, with, with what's going on at the moment, uh, you know, with with forced vaccinations and those sorts of things, you know, everyone's got a choice, uh, I believe, you know. Um, if you don't believe it's for you, then you should have the freedom to be able to, um, uh, to, to, say, to say no to these sorts of things. And... Um, uh, you know, if you, you, you know your body well enough like you do and you can manage your, your nervous system and your immune system properly, then the interventions yeah. are, uh, uh, are not required. But, um, you know, what's your, what's your viewpoint all, on all that? Well, I mean, you know, if, if people want to go um, take the vaccine, that's absolutely fine by me. Um, and if people don't want to take it, it's also absolutely fine by me because, um, in a nutshell, the the people who choose not to, they're not harming the people who choose to, mm. and vice versa. So, um, you know, I just I I think it's pretty simple to 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 leave the choice up to the individual. I don't think it needs to be this divide in the society if. If the vaccine's so good, then the people who are vaccinated shouldn't be afraid of the people who aren't. Mm, yeah. Yep. You know, and and that's that's the reality. You know, I mean, I I, I just I just feel there's been so much anguish and um, divide and d- division and the conversation that we have on a daily basis. It it eventually turns into a COVID conversation. No matter who you're talking to, you go, mm. oh, it's no. And, and honestly, I think it's, it's time that we moved on. Mm. Mm. Really. Okay. Like, I mean, let's, let's get on with our life. Like, uh, there's a lot of us are trying to get on with our life and are happy with the decisions we've made, whether to do it or not to do it. And let's do that. Mm. And, you know, it, without getting into the details and the nitty-gritty about masks and no masks and the, just that, that stuff, mm. I just, it's all been wound up a little bit too tight. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree, mate. Yeah, I, yep, I, I just think the bar needs to be dropped and they now we just get on. Yes. Yeah, I can see it coming. I'm certainly hoping it is. Um, you know, I feel... feel uh, really compassionate for people that have had to get it because of you know a need and all those sorts of things. Maybe it's gone against their will to, to do so. But in saying that, you know, great if um, you know good on them if they're able to to do it. And it gives them access to their to their parents or their you know their 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 kids' buddy school or whatever it might be. No worries. But we should have the choice uh, to be able to get it. I've come across some people this week that have had it. They had a day or two of a sniffle and they moved on. You know, I just don't see that there's enough reason to put people in fear just for that and um uh i think 
Uh, you know, fair enough, if people aren't too well physically, then uh, certainly, you know, have the vaccination as an intervention because it'll, it'll help you if you do get it. But if you are fit and healthy, there should be a test to say, well, yeah, you are just that and you, you can have a choice around, uh, you know, whether you, uh, you need it or not. And, um, um, you know, that, that's, that's a whole other conversation. But um, that freedom is, yeah. is really important and we need to stand up for our freedom, mate, because... Uh, if we don't, then it can get taken away from us, and then we're um, yeah. sort of yeah, we're sort of forced away from from that. Yeah, I mean, is it wrong to say if you've had it, COVID, you would have the antibodies, right? Mm. So why aren't we testing people to see if they've had it? Mm, that's right. And let's just say you've had it and you've not felt anything or you have or vice versa by uh, however you've come out the other side and you look healthy and you are healthy mm. well why should that person be interrogated whether they have it or not i mean they they should walk around with a gold star on their chest mm. you know mm. Mm. that yeah. that dude been he, he went to war he won the war and he's coming the other side and he's healthy how good is that yes <laughs> yeah that's right yeah yeah this is where I think we've got it all, all asked about, you know, like, like recognise good health and support good health. Don't try and take it the other way, you know. Um, yes. Yeah, like, you know. I mean, if he's been through it or she or whoever, great. Give him a pat on the bum. They're good. Give mm. him a tick. Mm. Yeah. If we need to give people ticks or not, you know, a yes. green tick or whatever. Yes. So it's like uh, I, I find it would be absolutely obscene to give someone who's been through that uh, then a vaccine afterwards. Yes. That That's, doesn't make any sense to yeah, me. Yeah, I agree 100%. So, you know, why why, why go down that path if it's not necessary? And, and these are the conversations that, that need to be start to be had because, um, yeah, you know, yeah. at that level where the, the decisions are being made, then they, this is the things that they really need to consider rather than just... You know the reaction that's prehabilitation beats rehabilitation i'll always come back to that you know be proactive with this sort of stuff and look at the uh solutions and the initiatives rather than the reactive um you know interventions because really uh it's a road to nowhere uh, at the end of the day you know that's actually like do stuff which can help nourish people and help them move on and um yeah mate i, I just think um we're, we're still got a bit to go but i think we're on hopefully on the tail end of all this sort of stuff and Oh, um, mate, I'm really grateful for our chat here. I'm sure we're going to have some more in the future on on a variety of different topics and subjects there. But um, if anyone wants to sort of follow you or get in touch with you or maybe even look at the foils that you're doing, what's the best way to do all that? Um, So, I mean, there's this website and it's um, cloud9surffoils.com.au or there's Instagram, which is cloud9international. So... Um, or you could probably just type in my name and maybe surf oils or something like that. So, um, so, so if, uh, when I look at you, it's Carl Muggeridge, is that right? Yes. With a K, yep. And, uh, yeah, Muggeridge, easy, easy spell. And yeah, look you up and have a bit of a look at, uh, some of the stuff you've been able to do on the bike and all that sort of thing too. And. Yeah, if you want to touch base with Carl, you can you can reach out to me, and I can I can maybe uh, hook you up. That's that's no worries. And yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, for sure, mate. Happy, and, uh, 
happy to answer any questions. No worries. <laughs> talk about Vipassana. We can, uh, <laughs> we can talk about it. Then, 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 then you've just got to be quiet for 240 hours and you'll learn all about it. Well, so. Yeah, there's at least 10 days of conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> yes, yeah. Quiet the mind and the soul. The quiet the mind and the soul will speak. They say so. Yeah, uh, yeah. and, and I, I mean, back to Vipassana real quick. I mean, it, it's I, I, I always bring it back to my racing because my racing was measurable, you know, so not miserable, measurable. So <laughs> based on when I went and the results um, I got when I come out, I mean, I just didn't wait for that to happen. It just happened, you know. Mm. Yeah, that's it exactly, mate. That, that's true. Everything will, will take care of itself at the end of the day, won't it? It's, uh, you know, you just sort of get uh, get into the into the rhythm and the the state of flow, and uh, and and everything will uh, will evolve. And uh, if the attention's in intentions there, then uh, the, then the results will come. I reckon that's that's really what it's all about. Yeah, definitely. All right, mate. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, really, thanks, Aaron. Really appreciate Look forward to teaching you how to foil too. <laughs> appreciate. I'm looking forward to that, mate. I need to to find a new activity and uh, something new to do this year, so I might happen sooner rather than later. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in. Really appreciate uh, the chat with Carl. Uh, amazing guy. Uh, many twists and turns in that chat. Jeez, he's been uh, through an incredible journey. And, uh, you know, um, yeah, some of the key things that we've sort of taken away from that one is uh, you know, being able to come back to yourself and, uh, and find your real truth and purpose. And that's what he did. And look at what come from that, um, you know, the, the results he was able to achieve and so forth. And as I said, uh, and, and as we both said, and, and as I mentioned a lot, is it's within all of us to do this. We've just got to, like, you know, be uh, open and honest and vulnerable enough to come back to that sort of stuff. So it's really important. If you want to reach out to me, please send me an email, support Any feedback, welcome, really appreciate it. Please share the podcast with others and I look forward to tuning in with another one soon. Cheers.